Welcome back to Beat the Good with Kate, the show that inspires each of us to see how we have the power to make a difference all around us. Each episode highlights an individual doing good in the world while following their passions, good for their own souls and for others. I get so excited about sharing each and every episode of Be The Good With You, and I hope you enjoy these people and stories. If you're new here, welcome, and if you are returning, thank you so much for your support. I'm so glad you found Be The Good With Kate and would love to hear from you. If you're finding value in these episodes, I invite you to share with someone who could also use this dose of good news, or tag me on social with your favorite quote from the episode. Every share, subscriber, review, and comment helps me to share these guests' wonderful work to more people. Thank you for your help in this. Now, onto this week's episode. Let's spread a little more goodness in the world. Today on Be the Good with Kate, I'm so excited to introduce you to John Paybon, who is coming to you all the way from Australia. And John has spent two decades in the business of saving our earth. After leaving his role at the United Nations, John traveled the world studying the impacts of sustainability firsthand in factories, on fields, and in Fortune 500s. He is an expert in sustainability with a mission to move sustainability from theory to practical strategies that help people and businesses confidentially make confidently make real impact. To get there, he shares his message through books consulting to businesses, and keynote speaking to audiences around the world. And that really just gives the surface. So, John, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for uh, for having me. And no, we don't want confidential. We want everybody yeah. to talk about the great things they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You can always tell when there's been a lot of talking in a day. Sometimes those words just get stumbled. <laughs> but John please like I said that was only a piece of everything so tell everybody who you are and what you do in your own words yeah absolutely so uh, I am calling in from Australia but for those with a good ear I do not have an accent because I'm originally from Los Angeles Uh, so so uh, the modern technology is helping us to do this which is amazing Um, I would I suppose consider myself a pragmatic altruist so I know when people hear the word sustainability they think okay greeny activist sort of sort of thing. And that's fine. Hugging the trees, saving the polar bears. There's enough people doing that. That wasn't ever really my thing. So I, I take a much more pragmatic approach to changing the world. I do work with a lot of private sector companies. That's primarily the, the clientele because I just feel they are able to do a, a whole lot more when it comes to saving the planet because of the resources they have, the capacity, the, the willingness. So that's kind of my my little piece of the sustainability universe. Uh, I do do a lot of work around the world, either speaking to audiences, joining amazing people on podcasts like this one, uh, and writing as well. So I have one book that's currently out called Sustainability for the Rest of Us, which is really a practical guide for everybody around the world on some of the really amazing things they can do to make change. It doesn't require you to go live off the grid. It doesn't require you to give up your cell phone or international travel to to Thailand. There are things you can do within the realms of reality today to really make a difference. Um, And then I also have a book coming out, which should be out around the same time, probably as this podcast recording uh, in June called The Great Greenwashing, which is all about how corporations, governments and influencers are lying to us, pretending that they're sustainable when they're probably not. Oh, that's a lot to dive into, I'm sure. (laughs) That must have been quite the process for researching and getting all that information together. 
Uh, there's lots of content for TikTok that's come out of that. Absolutely. But it's just absolutely <laughs> fasc fascinating some of the things that are that are happening. <laughs> oh, sure. And you had some great quotes on your website, too. And you mentioned a couple of these words and phrases. I just have to say, you know, like like you just mentioned, being sustainable doesn't mean living off the grid, giving up international travel or hanging from the side of an oil rig. It means being a pragmatic altruist, which ties in what you're just saying. And I loved that. So please tell everybody a little bit more about how you went from, I mean, your path, but there's a lot of pieces to this, right? How did we get from LA to Australia? How did we get from college to doing everything you're doing now? Yeah, it's been a crazy journey and I, would, I wouldn't change it for the world. <laughs> so right. uh, I born, raised Los Angeles. I went to undergrad in Los Angeles and then studied the United Nations when I was an undergrad, so political science. And obviously with that, you need to get close to the UN. So I went to the belly of the beast and moved to New York. <laughs> so I went to grad school in New York in the hopes of just kind of networking, getting close to the UN and maybe one day getting a job. And as fate would have it, while I was in grad school, I got a job at the UN. So I did both at the same time, um, which was quite the undertaking looking back on it. I don't think now at this stage of life, I would have the energy to do that. But, you know, in your 20s, you can do anything. So that's that's kind of where I got started on this uh, this path of altruism, I suppose. And so I worked at the UN for several years and then was talking with a few of my mentors there and they were getting into the gory details. I love it. Uh, it's a good <laughs> reminder for myself. Um, talked to a few of my, my mentors there and they said, hey, if you really want to you know, move up in this organization, you have to get out, go to the private sector and come back in towards the end of your career. I thought, okay, that's interesting that I hadn't ever considered. So I took a step out, went to work with AC Nielsen and McKinsey and always focused on their public sector clients. So really working still in that, that public good kind of space. So I never gave that up. And then I went on a little vacation to Shanghai in 2008. And that was the height of the Great Recession in New York. But in Shanghai, there was no such thing. So everybody was living on these massive expat packages. It was just, it was so eye-opening and just fascinating to, to see how people were living there. And I came back to New York and people are, you know, struggling of, oh, can I go out tonight? Can I afford to take a cab home? You know, am I going to be able to eat? Like what's all this stuff is happening. It was a very bad time in New York. And so I thought, okay, let's try something else and let's move to Shanghai. So in 2009, I moved to Shanghai uh, with, you know, just the idea that maybe it would be a couple of years and a decade later, I'm still there. <laughs> I was still there. So that's really where I fell into sustainability. I had to figure out a way to marry all of that public sector experience that I had from the UN and, and these other organizations in a very commercial city like Shanghai. And for those who haven't been there, it is pretty much the height of capitalism. It, you can't get a more capitalist, capitalist sort of city besides New York, uh, maybe yeah. than Shanghai. So how, how was I going to do this? How was I going to put those two things together? And I fell into sustainability accidentally. I think a lot of people around that time were probably doing the same thing. It wasn't even called sustainability then. I don't even think there was a name for it. So I, I accidentally fell into it. I worked with an amazing organization called BSR. They're kind of the McKinsey of the sustainability world. And that's really where I honed my sustainability chops. I was there for several years. I went and set up my own shop after that, focused more on sustainability communications because I felt there was a big gap there. And uh, from there, I was I, I did my 10 years of service in Shanghai, which is a long time. So I thought, OK, it's time to uh, try something new. 
And I ended up in, in Melbourne because I knew there was a need here for strong sustainability consulting. And that's been, I came here right as COVID started. <laughs> so that's been oh. the past three years. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Questions. First question, practical question. Did you know anything with the language going into Shanghai or were enough people speaking English or how'd that work? Yeah, so the best piece of advice I got from people who were already there when I arrived was study Mandarin when you get here or you will never learn it because once you start working, forget it. Like it's the last thing on your mind and it's totally true. So I spent my first, it would have been four to six months learning Mandarin intensively. And I had tried when I was at the UN, one of my mentors there uh, was was from China. So I, I tried to learn, but as with most languages, it's immersion that really gets you to a good place. Yeah. It's not trying to learn it from a book. So I found Mandarin to be, it's not easy. It's certainly not an easy language, uh, but it's a lot easier when you're there using it every day. So mm-hmm. that that helped to, to give me a very strong foundation. And like the advice that was given, I really did not focus too much on it once I started working. I had a tutor that would come in every once in a while, but the focus just wasn't there. So I'm glad I did get that grounding when I first okay. started. I had to ask that because I know that's such a, when people are scared to make steps to do something wild, like moving to a different country or changing careers, there's so many fears and one of them so often is language. So it's always great to hear these stories of, no, it's possible. And then the other question I had, sustainability communication. Can you define that more for the audience? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll take a step back and I'll define sustainability. So I, I need to be better at this as a communicator to make sure everybody's <laughs> on the same page. Very uh, but all I know, together. That's it. So I know when people hear sustainability, they think green. They think the environment, saving the trees, hugging the polar bears. And yes, that is a very large part of sustainability, but it's not the only part. So we use sustainability as an umbrella term for anything that helps to advance either the planet or society. So you have the planetary stuff, the environment, but you also have the societal stuff. So that's human rights, that's labor rights, that's philanthropy and charity, it's animal welfare. Those more uh, social aspects are part of sustainability as well. And then we have the, the governance side of things. That's the boring stuff that I work on. So that's the, the how corporations are actually doing what they say they're doing, how you're monitoring that, the transparency and the communications. So that's the that's the, the governance. So we usually use the acronym E for environment, S for social, and G for governance versus Great. saying sustainability because it kind of encapsulates it a little bit more. Um, the communication side of things is probably something that has been lacking over the past, let's say, 30, 40 years of sustainability. So if you think about a typical sustainability advert or something you would see on TV or the media, it's it's this this polar bear on the the melting ice cap. You know, we all know that trope from that commercial. It's the sad Sarah McLaughlin sort of animal <laughs> welfare ad that makes everybody yeah. cry. I can't even think about it without crying. Um, it's <laughs> it's it's the the Mad Max kind of hellscape where everybody's in leather coats on motorbikes. It's all this sort of doomy kind of stuff. That doesn't really do too much when you want to get people galvanized to action because it just scares people to inaction. So so what we're trying to do is in communications, definitely is flip that on its head and show people that there is there's a lot of work to be done, but there's not so much that we need to sit back and and just give up. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. Now today in Melbourne. 
your main focus is on, you had mentioned like working with corporations, right? And sustainability. Okay. So what are some of those, I like to call them good news moments that you've seen in working with them, those positive outcomes, or just like seeing things from a different point of view? Absolutely. And I'm very happy to report that a lot of companies are doing a lot of great things. So I know we, we only see the bad stuff because it makes the news. It's the, it's the cool stuff to, to put in the lead, but there are amazing things happening. So, so anybody listening, you know, just be, be happy knowing that, that good things are going on. Corporations are by and large, really, they're seeing the writing on the wall. So those companies that haven't been improving their operations or becoming more sustainable uh, for the past couple of decades, those that are just now jumping on the bandwagon, they're realizing, okay, we need to make a change. Not because necessarily we care, I'm sure they do on some level, but because if they don't, they're not going to be around much longer. There's not going to be space for them to play in a modern capitalist society where consumers are demanding that products are better, that companies are more ethical, that they're doing the right thing. If a company doesn't do that, they're not going to be around. So I would venture to guess in 10 or 15 years time, those companies are going to be gone. So we've already entered this virtuous cycle where the good companies are exponentially getting better and the bad companies are exponentially getting out of the way. So I know today when you go to the shelf, you have to make a really concerted effort to pay more for something good, to do your research. 10, 15 years, not going to be the case because all the work will have been done for us. Every decision is going to be a good one. So the example I love to use, especially with American audiences, is Walmart. And I know that Walmart is considered just the worst company in the world. And are they not the worst company? Maybe not. I knew they do. I knew they do a lot of bad things, especially by American workers. Not the best. In China, they are doing amazing things for female workers. Wow. Uh, we're recording this. It's uh, it's still International Women's Day in America yes. because you're a day behind. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um, this, is, this is a really this is a really great example of of the work they're doing. So they obviously have a very intricate supply chain in China. Uh, they have a a large female workforce in their in their supplier factories. So Walmart's gone in, and the Walmart Foundation has invested millions of dollars to upskill female workers, not just on on the job boring stuff, but softer skills like communication skills, family Mm. planning, personal health and wellness, all these things that maybe somebody would have missed out on in school or they weren't, they they didn't learn about it growing up. Walmart stepped in and they've they've filled that gap. And I'm not just talking about a few workers here and there. The the program, at least as far as I understand, and I worked on it with, uh, with BSR a few years ago, when the formal program ended, there were over 100,000 women that had gone through it. So we're talking at scale, impactful change. And people are probably scratching their heads going, okay, well, why would Walmart have done that? And part of it is altruism. Part of it is because they do care. I know they're evil and and mean, but they do care. But there's a a business perspective to this as well. And this is where, where I love to see this altruism and this business pragmatism working together. Because if you think about it from a middle manager perspective, if you have workers that are maybe unhealthy or they're not happy, they're not uh, doing so well at home, they're going to be absent from work. They're not going to be as productive. Uh, They're probably probably going to have a huge amount of turnover as they go look for other work because they're unsatisfied. But if you show that you care as a company, if you give people better options for personal health and wellness and family planning, all of a sudden they're happier they're healthier, they're coming to work more often, they're more productive, and it's better for the bottom line of the factory. So you have this 
this beautiful marriage between helping out people, but also mm-hmm. helping out the business. And I think that's really where we need to have a conversation with sustainability. It's no longer corporations are bad, people are good. That's that's very naive and simplistic. It's more, okay, how do we how do we put these two things together so everybody benefits? The uh, the terribly used marketing term, the win-win solution. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I can see you've heard that a couple hundred times. <laughs> yes, I try my best not to use it. Or DNA of an organization. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. You know, I worked in corporate fitness as a part-time for a dozen years now or more. And that always goes back to like, happier employees, healthier employees, better company. And so I love hearing this now on the sustainability side, it's the same thing. You're talking about these same principles on this giant scale, but I'm curious as now, for instance, use the example of Walmart, they're doing such great things in China, but they're known as such like a terrible company, quote unquote, here in the United States. So why this disconnect? Is it, are there different people overseeing the different countries? Is it just because they could get away with it in America? Like what's the deeper story there with that. Yeah, it's super nuanced, right? And there's lots of layers to it. I, in in my little piece of the universe, I chalk it up to communications. I chalk it up to this idea that, and it's not just Walmart, it's a lot of corporations doing great things that maybe they feel it's inauthentic to be talking Mm -hmm. about these great things. Maybe they feel it's not so, it it looks a little self-serving to be promoting the great work you're doing. So maybe that's why they take a step back and say, hey, let's not talk about that too much. Or on the other side of things, maybe it's because it is so feel good that it doesn't make media, that people actually don't care about the feel good stuff. They want to hear about the disastrous evil company that's that's underpaying workers and not giving them health insurance in America. That that makes much more uh, that would make the 10 o'clock news much more than, you know, helping out a bunch of 100,000 workers in China. So Mm -hmm. the the narrative is is probably not there to really uh, be salient for audiences in the way that media media thinks audience want audiences want to hear. Interesting. I mean, heck, that's how this whole podcast started was just at the height of the pandemic being surrounded by all the negative news and we had to hear about it, but it was just constant and overdone. And I was like, there's so many people doing great things. We need to highlight them. And I've seen since a lot of different shows come up that are highlighting the good people and the good things like what you're doing. So I'm excited to hear, bring more good news to the foreground. People are, people are tired of all the negative news. I mean, yeah, we have to, we have to hear about it. We have to, you know, have an understanding of what's going on in the world. Great. But that's not all that's happening. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And people are yearning for the good news. And, you know, I mean, how many millions of views do these cute dog videos get, right? Just because they make people happy. So John, is there any company that comes to mind that has just blown you away or that you've gotten to work with that have you seen like the ultimate giant leap forward? That's a really great question. And I think by the time, and this is really, really good for a lot of listeners to understand, by the time I got involved in sustainability, so even though I I had mentioned earlier on that it wasn't even called sustainability then. I I think that even then I was kind of late to the game because corporations had been doing a lot of these great things probably for at least a decade before I even got my hands in, in, in the field because they knew that they had to improve what they were doing. So if, for example, we'll go to, back to this example of, uh, of Asia being sort of the world's factory. 
corporations have been working in Asia since the 80s, right, to to make all the stuff that we think we need in in the West. So they knew that to to be a productive company, they had to have really strong operations, they had to have great logistics, all of these ducks had to be in a row. That's part of sustainability as well, logistics and operations to make sure that if all of that is in line, then that means you're not wasting resources. You're not polluting more than you need to. So that was already kind of set. So they had already made a lot of those big leaps and bounds, which is which is great to say. So I kind of came in at the tail end to, to help them <laughs> um, figure out a few of those other things. So, so to your question, I'm very happy to report that those leaps and bounds have already been made, uh, which, is, which is a great thing to know. I think companies now were at this time where the the next big thing is going to happen. I don't know what that is, but I do definitely feel like we were talking about a second ago that that we're in this, we're beginning this virtuous cycle that's going to be an exponential change. When that happens, what it looks like, I'm not sure, but I absolutely am 100% convinced that we're, we're right here waiting for it to happen and it's not going to be much longer before it does. Okay, wonderful. Now, your journey has, again, included so many different, not just states, but countries and different jobs and growth throughout the years. Are there any sayings or mantras or quotes that you keep going back to over the years to help you move forward and get through? I used to love the Eleanor Roosevelt one about uh, no one can make you feel inferior without your Mm -hmm. consent. But I know that's on so many posters and people mention it so much, but it's true. But there's a reason it's everywhere because it's that's it. Exactly. Uh, my my favorite one, I don't know where I heard this, I don't know who originally quoted, uh, is, is you can do anything, but you cannot do everything. I think that is so important for people to remember, especially if I relate it to my, my own professional life, that as an altruist, we want to do it all. We want to take home the dog on the street. We want to go to the homeless shelter and help out. We want to read to the seniors on Sunday. We want to do it all. We're only one person. We only have so much time, capacity, and sanity to be able to do all of that stuff. So for me, it's really important to remind myself, but also to tell others that you need to kind of pick a lane when it comes to saving the world and just be really, in a lot of ways, heartless to stay in that lane. So even though you know you want to do X, Y, and Z, you also have to understand there are an army of people around the world that are going to do that particular thing. So you don't need to do it all yourself. And so to remind myself that I can do it all, but I don't need to, I just need to pick a few particular things. And that's how I've carved out my own little, little space of the sustainability universe. And I would encourage others that are listening to, to do the same, to pick what it is that you're either most passionate about that you have maybe an expertise in. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you studied finance and you're a great auditor and you can go in and help an NGO that's really bad with their books. That's a great way to contribute to, or maybe you're well off. Congratulations. I'm very happy for you. If you can donate money, there's always money that needs to be spread around. So don't feel like that is not contributing. It absolutely is. But once you start doing that to really get stuck in and and to to pick that particular area and to stay with it, again, with the knowledge that there are others that will do all these other things that need to be done. Excellent. You know, I've been asking everyone as a final question, any advice they'd give someone who wants to make a difference, but doesn't know where to start. And that you just answered that perfectly. That's such a great answer. That's such great advice. Absolutely. And it's hard, especially today, we just have all this noise coming at us of you should do this more, you should do that more, you should do this less. So excellent and needed advice for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Hey, John, please tell everybody where we can find you online, learn more about you, your books, everything you're doing. 
Absolutely. So easiest place is my website. So johnpabon.com. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. Uh, so yeah. people can access it that way. Uh, that has information on uh, my new book that's coming out, my book tour, where I'll be, when I'll be talking the thing and talking about it. Um, it'll also have uh, where I have recorded podcasts or interviews. So you can hear a little bit more about my crazy thinking. Uh, that's that's helpful for people as well. Uh, and then it also has a link to my current book if anybody's interested in doing a little, a little preview of my thinking before the new one comes out. Excellent. John, I can't thank you enough for your time and for all you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's great. In taking classes over the years or observing workout videos, one major piece that is often missing, stressing safety and form. Additionally, group fitness classes are often marketed as being open to all levels, yet how often do instructors not give modifications nor progressions so that each participant truly can get what he or she needs out of the class? So that's why I created the 101 series, which take things back to basics with three separate courses, Bar 101, Pilates 101, and Hit 101, focusing on safety and efficiency so you can maximize your workouts, be confident when you step into a group fitness class or workout on your own, be strong in your execution of the most common exercises, and be proud of yourself for taking these huge steps forward on your health journey. Check it out at bebykate.com. The link is in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening to Be The Good with Kate Cherichello. Whether you're listening on YouTube or via podcast, it would mean the world if you liked, subscribed, and or left a review. You heard about the good? Now go out and be the good in your life this week. If you have stories of good news that need to be shared, please send me a message. Thanks again and have a great week.